welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Papa God, thank you for the sound of children and how that shows the generations that are present here in this community and the way that you have spoken life and are speaking life and will continue to speak life into this world. We pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have for us this morning, whether it's through a word from a community member, whether it's through music, whether it's through silence, whether it's through your scriptures. Pray that you would help us to feel and know and experience the realness of your presence and the way that you are guiding and the way that you are planting seeds in us that you uh, are longing for us to bring as fruit into this world. It's in your good name that we pray. Amen. Well, I am uh, really happy to be with you all. I'm really happy to be preaching on uh, the passage that is here for today. It's actually one of my very favorite sections of Scripture. And uh, so I would like to invite you, if you are able, to stand with me as I read it. Uh, We today are in 1 Kings 19, verses 1 through 18. And I don't know if it's going to be on the screen. And if it is on the screen, it may not match my translation. So just fair warning. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. 
because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel Meholoah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So there is a ton going on in this passage, and I want to start with thinking about names. So uh, my name is uh, Stephanie, is my first name. My middle name is Jolaine. And um, it's not Jolene, it's Jolaine. And the reason it's Jolaine is because it's my two grandmother's names. I have a grandmother named Joan and a grandmother named Elaine that my parents combined into the middle name of Jolaine which is a lovely idea, and so I'm actually, I have two children, they're both boys, and I, it was good that they were boys because my mom's name is Beth and my husband's mom's name is Jane, and I went through every possible iteration of combining those into a name, and it would have been not a name anyone would have wanted to carry, so we were relieved from that. But, uh, so Stephanie Jolaine, I remember this, uh, a couple of years ago, I finally had this realization about what my grandma called me. Because my grandma, every time she talked to me, didn't call me Stephanie. She called me Steffi Joe. And I thought about it, and I thought, oh, grandma. Because it was my grandma Joan who called me Steffi Joe. So in the lovingly narcissistic way that grandmas can be, <laughs> she always called me by the name that included her name in it. And I don't think she was even conscious of the fact that that's what she was doing. So just as I was unaware of that, I think we are often unaware of what our names carry with us and how our names mean something and how our names are important. And in the scriptures, everyone was named for very specific and important reasons, and it carries a sense of their identity with them. And today's passage is talking about Elijah. And Elijah's name is El-Yah, and El is uh, short for God, Elohim, and Yah is short for Yahweh, the name of the Lord in the scriptures. And so his very name means Yahweh is the Lord, which is quite a name to carry with you. It's especially quite a name to carry with you if you're born in the time that Elijah was born. So they are at a point in history and in time where there has been a kingdom split, which uh, happened because King Solomon had the taxes pretty high in order to build the temple, and his son came into power and said, you know what people would love is if I raise taxes even more. That's a really great way to be a popular leader. And as you might expect, that didn't go well, and it led to this split where the 10 northern tribes of Israel said, we don't want to follow a king in David's line anymore, and we're going to make our own spot. And the two, and two tribes formed Judah in the south. And as that kingdom split happened, the country started to go in different directions. And uh, Judah had this sort of cycle of good king, bad king, sometimes following who God was, sometimes not. Israel 
had just king after king who said, you know, there's this word of the Lord, but I don't know if that's really important. And they were doing actually some very politically savvy things. They were trying to build alliances with these really superpower countries that were around them because they were afraid of being taken over. They were, they were, they were afraid, afraid that, that the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians would come and take over their country. And the kings did what kings do in those situations. They marry people from those countries. So they say, hey, look, we're not a threat, we're family. And they start worshiping gods from those countries, saying, look, we're part of the same religion. We're not a threat to you. And so the northern kingdom of Israel had been on that trajectory for years and years and years. And then someone is born who is named Elijah. God is Yahweh. So I'm going to do something that I, those who were here last week, Rabbi Allen was here and roved with a mic. I don't have a roving mic, but I'm going to uh, just ask for you to shout some things out once in a while. So here's what I want to know. If you are named God is Yahweh in that period of time of history, what might be some things you would feel or experience about your name? Shout out a word or two. Pressure, yeah, just a, you know, a little bit of pressure with that name. Someone over here? Pride. pride. Okay, so we got two different P words. Maybe some pride, maybe some pressure. Any other feelings? What was my mom thinking? <laughs> what was my mom thinking? <laughs> and you can kind of feel the tension of the pressure and the pride. And what was my mom thinking to name me this in this period of time? And Elijah does come onto the scene pretty dramatically, actually. He comes into the scene and he uh, tells Ahab. So this is the time of Ahab, which is a particularly bad time in the northern kingdom's history. Lots of other worship of other gods going on. Jezebel is, you know, not the nicest queen in the world. And he comes to Ahab and he says, okay. There is going to be a drought, and it is going to last three years. And on his word, there actually is a drought, and it actually does last three years. And then uh, he goes and he lives with this widow for a while, and there's all this miraculous provision of food. Then he comes back, and there's this epic battle on Mount Carmel between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And there's this whole thing that happens where they're like, you know, he's like, oh, maybe your God needs to, uh, uh, maybe you need to dance harder for your God to send fire down on your altars. And so he's telling them to try harder to get Baal to light their altars. And meanwhile, he's like pouring water on his altar to prove how powerful God is. It's very dramatic. Yahweh wins the battle, essentially. And all of these prophets of Baal are killed by the sword. And God is shown to be, God is Yahweh. And then, after that, on Elijah's word, the drought ends and it starts to rain. So if you are Elijah, and all of that has happened, a drought has happened on your word, the prophets of Baal have been proved to be wrong, God has actually been proven to be Yahweh, the drought has now ended, what are you thinking this moment in time might be for you? What are you thinking, feeling, hoping? Another shout out kind of time. I won! 
The trajectory is going to change. I have won. What else? I hope this does it, especially if I'm feeling the weight of my name. I hope my name actually comes to pass now that people see this is true. What else might I be hoping? I'm going to Disney World. <laughs> oh, it is time for a vacation. The last three years have been so hard. I am ready for something different. Maybe their hearts will change. Because Elijah is a prophet. A prophet is a, uh, named Navi in Hebrew. It's one who brings. And a prophet brings the truth of the eternal God to the people. And a good prophet loves the people. And so wrapped up in all of this would be the hope of maybe things will change. Maybe the people will see once again that God is real and God is here. And instead, Elijah gets a death threat. Instead, he finds out that the trajectory has not shifted. That everything is right where it was before the beginning of these three years that he has walked through. And he's got to figure out what to do with all of the feelings that come crashing down when you find out you're not going to be able to get a vacation. That all of this work you have done seems to feel like it has been in vain. And actually, you're hated even more now than you were before it began. And so Elijah runs. And when it says that he runs... Uh, to Beersheba, if we don't know the context of the land, we don't quite get a sense of just how far Elijah runs. Because at the end of 1 Kings 18, he's in Jezreel, and Jezreel is in the northern tip of the northern kingdom of Israel. Beersheba is the southern tip of the southern kingdom of Judah. Elijah literally runs through the entire land after hearing this word from Jezebel. And he runs until he gets to the wilderness. So the wilderness is a word that I uh, think that probably has been talked about in here. So anybody, uh, the word for wilderness is midbar. The root of midbar is the word deber. And I wonder if anybody for like Bible points extraordinaire knows what deber means. Ooh, louder. To speak. The wilderness, very good. <laughs> the wilderness over and over and over again in the scriptures is a place where God speaks. When the people are going from Egypt to the promised land, they don't take the direct route. God takes them through the wilderness where they are stripped of those things that get in the way and they're given space and time to hear when God is speaking. And that is where Elijah heads in this moment. And it's revealed in something that our translations don't get very well. So in verse 3, it says, in my translation it says, when, a, when he saw that, um, after what Jezebel has said, he arose and ran for his life. But it'd really be could be translated, when he saw, when he saw all that was happening, 
he arose and ran towards his soul. So what does it mean when we hit these periods of time to not just run away, but to run towards? To say, nothing is where I maybe hoped or thought it would be, and I know that I might burn out, I might freak out, I might do whatever in this time, but I am not only going to run away from that for my life, I am going to run towards where I know I can find life. I'm going to run towards that place where God speaks, and I am going to trust that there is something there for me. So in the beginning of this summer, um, my father suddenly passed away of a heart attack. And grief, my mother-in-law was talking to me one day in that time period, and she said, you know, grief is the opportunity to look back through your entire life from the age you are right now. There's all these sorts of things that flood forward in times of grief. You're grieving what has just happened, but you're also grieving sometimes what never was or what never would be. And the whole process just engages you in this overwhelming sense of, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to think first. I don't even know what questions to ask myself so that I'm thinking about the right things. And so as I hit that period of time of how do I grieve well, because really what I want to do is run away. My personality pattern is a personality pattern that when hard things happen, I find ways to distract myself. And, you know, you know, like, you know if maybe some of you are like me. So there's like a really hard thing going on, a question of some sort that I should really be like journaling about or praying about. So my first response obviously is to clean my house or to go out for a drink with a friend, or do anything but think about that hard thing. So I thought, okay, I can't do that. What, what can I do? And so I went to a good friend and mentor who asks really good questions, and I said, would you give me the questions that I should be thinking about? Will you guide me into the right kind of questions? And then I took those questions with me and I went on a walk in the woods because I know that in nature, I connect differently. And I walked along a river because I knew that there's something about the water that helps me connect differently. And I put everything aside and I went for a walk along the river and I set up a hammock in a tree along the side of the Mississippi and I sat there with my journal and with those questions and I made myself stay until I thought about them, until I prayed about them, until I yelled my way through them, until I, you know, sorry for anyone, if you were walking along the path that day, because you might have heard this crazy woman saying things out loud from a hammock in a tree along the river. (laughs) But there was something in me that knew I couldn't run away that I also needed to run towards. And I needed to hear what God had for me so that I could find my soul and have a journey of grief that would lead towards healing and life and wholeness and not towards avoiding and running away. So Elijah gets to the wilderness and he sits under a tree. I don't think he had a hammock, but he sits under a tree. 
And he prays this beautifully honest, deep prayer. Lord, it's enough. It's too much. It could be translated, Ra'ab. I can't do it anymore. Take my life. I'm no better than my father's. And I love the space the scriptures give for these kind of prayers. Because he's a prophet. He should know better, right? The kind of prayer a prophet should pray is like, God, things are hard, but I know that you work all things out for the good of those who love you who have been called according to your purpose, and I'm going to stand in that trust forever. <laughs> That's how a prophet prays, right? But under the broom tree, that's not what he prays. He just gets honest and he says, I'm tired. This is too much. I don't know where to go. And I'm going to trust that in this point of need, in this point of pain, in this point of unknowing, in the wilderness, you will speak to me and you will meet me here and you will help me know where to go next. And his prayer reveals what the deep struggle of his heart is. Because he says, I am no better than my father's. So grammar people in here, better is a word that is a comparative word. What is the root word that it's from in English? Good, there we go. <laughs> there had to be some grammar people in here. So in Hebrew, the word better does not exist. So what Elijah prays is, I am no more tov, no more good than my father's. So some of us in here, I think, have probably studied the word tov or heard about it in a sermon or in a, in a covenant group when we've talked about these things. But the idea of the word tov is to go back to Genesis 1 and to see how God is using the word good when he's thinking about creation. And in day three of creation, there's plants that are for the first time bringing life onto the planet. And he invites the land to produce that vegetation. And as the land grows the plants, there's this progression where you see that he's not calling it good when they're seedlings. He's not calling it good when they are full grown. He's not calling it good when there are, there's fruit. He's calling it good when there's fruit that has seed in it. Because what it means for something to be good is to have this life that is bringing forth more life. It's life and the future progression of life. And for us, it's when we bring forth the seed that's in us and that that has seed that brings forth life in others. And we have that tove. We're bringing forth that good. And the thing Elijah is wrestling with right now is where is the tove? Where is my good? Because I don't see the fruit I don't see the seeds. I don't see what I'm doing going anywhere. And as I'm wrestling with that, now I'm stuck on the fact of 
comparing myself to the generation before me and saying I'm no better than they were and it's all going to stop here. And I love how God meets that prayer. Because the first thing that God does is he lets Elijah take a nap. How often do we think that there is some big spiritual answer to our burnout and our frustration and we just need a nap? (laughs) Sometimes we've just got to sleep. And then a messenger comes and brings food. Because sometimes we need a nap and sometimes we also need a meal. Anyone ever had someone bring them a meal at a point of need? How does that feel? What does that do? It's another all play to yell things out. Relief. Relief. I don't have to cook today. Yay. Loved. Loved, yes. Comfort. When I was, um, my firstborn was a preemie, and he uh, was in the hospital for a while, and I had a friend who didn't just bring a meal to my house, she brought bags of groceries. And it was one of the times in my life I have felt more seen than at the other time, because I didn't even know that that's what I needed but she brought it, and I then knew I didn't have to go grocery shopping, and I could be present to everything else that was happening. And I love that God in this moment lets Elijah nap and brings Elijah food, brings him comfort, helps him know he's seen, helps him know he is loved. And on the strength of that, Elijah has a 40-day journey. So anyone knows another like Bible point question? What are some places where the number 40 comes up in the scriptures? Can you shout one out? Louder? Noah and the flood, it's 40 days and 40 nights. Do you have one? You've, it was Noah too? Okay. Anyone have another one? Jesus in the wilderness goes out to the wilderness for 40 days. Any other 40s you can think of? Israelites are in the wilderness for 40 years. Great. Great job, guys. So 40 is over and over again in the scriptures, and it is a number where we see that something dies and something new is born. And Elijah is given the strength that he needs to go on a journey to let go of what has happened in the past and to walk forward into something new that God has for him. And it is in that large context that we finally get to the famous thing, the famous piece of this story of the idea that God is not in the fire, not in the earthquake, but in the still, small voice. Because if we are going to hear the still, small voice of God, we have to be ready to listen. 
That's not something that can happen like that. Sometimes we need a nap. Sometimes we need a meal. Sometimes we need a 40-day journey before we are ready to get to that place where we can shema here, receive what the voice of God has for us. I have a friend who runs a retreat center who uh, was laughing about how um, people come there for a silent retreat. And I don't know if any of you have ever gone someplace for a silent retreat, but what she said is how many people show up for a silent retreat with like grocery bags full of books <laughs> because they are ready to hear from God. <laughs> this is my day to have my silent retreat and read all the books and journal and paint. And how many of them walk out having taken a nap and not gone into their bags at all. Because really what they needed was to slow down, to stop reading, to stop trying so hard, and to just be ready to receive the still small voice of God that would help them move to what's next. So I wonder what that would look like for us to hear, to slow down enough to hear and I wonder how God might meet our deepest needs in that moment because what God's voice then tells Elijah is that he's not actually alone. And actually it's going to be time for him to anoint the prophet that comes after him, which means there is going to be a way he can see the tove that he was worried he did not have. And that, that he's going to have that voice, that friend, to walk alongside of him for the whole next part of his journey. And he was ready to hear that and ready to receive it and ready to have this next place for his life. So I'm going to say a word of prayer and we're going to usher into a time of silence. And I wonder if we could ask ourselves that question. What would it look like for me to prepare myself to hear? And if I do, what hope might God bring me for the future? Let's pray. God, I thank you for this example of Elijah, of someone who not only ran away from something hard, but ran towards a place where he could hear your voice and be renewed and refreshed. I pray that you would give us the eyes to see what that might look like in our own life, to run towards our soul, to take a nap, to have our needs met, and to be ready to hear your voice whispering how you love us, how you see us, and how you have a future for us. Thank you that you are a God who speaks. Amen. All around and deep inside. May those be words you carry with you this week. Thanks for being here. Have a great day. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.